Welcome to Clocking In, Forces of NC Manufacturing. I'm your host, Phil Mintz, Director of the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, otherwise known as NCMEP. My role is to drive outreach to NC manufacturers, build relationships to federal and state leaders, and coordinate efforts to drive profitable manufacturing growth in North Carolina. Throughout my time working closely with manufacturers, I have heard the most quirky, curious, and memorable stories. I wanted to turn these stories into a podcast so that others may hear and be informed and inspired. From humble beginnings to manufacturing titans, from tragedy to triumph, I will be interviewing some of these manufacturers who have made North Carolina manufacturing the powerhouse that it is today. Today, once again on Clocking In Voices of North Carolina Manufacturing, we're speaking with one of the voices of North Carolina Manufacturing. Today, I'm speaking with Dyer Bennett. He's a Senior Vice President at Searchy Corporation. You know, based in Youngsville, North Carolina, Searchy Corporation specializes in manufacturing high-quality criminal investigation, tactical surveillance, and other police-related solutions, including customized special-purpose vehicles. They deliver industry-leading training for public safety, medical, and education communities, featuring hands-on learning techniques. Dyer is responsible for leading all aspects of business operations, including purchasing, manufacturing, engineering, inventory management, order fulfillment, shipping. He also builds teams to meet with Searchy's goals with delivering world-class criminal investigation and security products with excellent customer service. Bennett has a bachelor's in textile engineering from Philadelphia University. He has a master's in textile science from the Institute of Textile Technology and an MBA from Wake Forest School of Business. So thank you, Dyer, for taking time to speak with us. How are you doing today? Doing great, Phil. Thank you. Sounds like you got a lot of responsibility there. I do. We're a small company, so we wear a lot of hats. How did you get involved in the work that you're doing? What's your, what was your path to searching? Well, it's very interesting that obviously with my education, I started out in the textile industry here in North Carolina. Went from Philadelphia, moved down here in 1993, and spent about 13 years in the textile industry. It was a, a good journey and very good industry to be in at the time. And then later, because of export situations and a couple companies that didn't survive through that, I decided to change paths. Went back to school, got my MBA at Wake Forest, and got an opportunity with this small company in Youngsville, North Carolina that I'd never heard of in something involving forensics. And I said, well, what is this? You know, I'd heard CSI. Everybody knew about the CSI TV shows and, and what they did. And I didn't realize that there was a manufacturer here in North Carolina that did that. I happened to know the CEO at the time at Searchy, had worked with him before, a gentleman named Gary Monroe. And he had presented an opportunity for me to come on and help with uh, ISO certification as well as product development and business development with Searchy. And I was fascinated. I mean, just looking at the industry, how cool is it when you can say everything in CSI, those are the products that are used on the show is what we make. And so I embraced the opportunity to go to Searchy 14 years ago. It's a small niche industry. We do something that I think a lot of people don't do, which is we are an exporter. So we are not only, we are a true world-class manufacturer because we manufacture not only for the domestic market, for also for international. And then the wide variety of things that we do. 
we think of forensics as this, you know, this one crime scene investigation, but we don't think about the medical applications of it, the corner applications of it. Like you said, specialty vehicles that we do for different types of law enforcement. And I always feel when we are working in the forensic industry that we are doing something for the public good. So not only are we making products and making a profit like any good company would do, we also serve a purpose. And I always say that our products either can free the innocent or convict the guilty. So we have a moral obligation to not only make the products, but to make them well and make them work. It's interesting. You talk about your you export. We hear a lot about the difficulties of getting stuff here these days and expensiveness of it. You know, how is it going the other way? Is it more difficult to ship things overseas now? Is the same as it is to receive them? I think the receiving side is worse, and we, we can explore that later in the conversation. On the exporting side, absolutely, COVID was a huge change in our business. We went from the same thing in the United States where things shut down. We saw it earlier on. We started to see our Asian customers, Malaysia, and those regions start to shut down earlier than the U.S. market. It heavily affected our European business, Italy, Germany, France. So we, we are just starting to see that business start to come back and more purchases. And the biggest thing, biggest change for us is that they are experiencing the same transportation costs and issues that we were on imports. So our customers are very open to consolidation. They want, to, they want their orders to be complete. They want to combine orders together to reduce that export cost, the transportation cost. And there has been a little bit of shift, uh, you know, worldwide markets for things like cotton swabs were very hard to get. So people have been very open to substituting products or being innovative, you know, pivoting and saying, okay, if I can't get this type of swab, do you have these types or being able to offer those customers other options uh, in the interim? So it's been, it's been an interesting time. So I guess the the way you started answering the question, you also import things? Uh, We do. Obviously, there are things that are made outside of the United States for some of the products that we make. Not everything is available in the United States, not only because it's not made here, but because the product has an origin overseas. For example, there are no latex gloves made in the United States because we don't grow rubber trees. It makes perfect sense. So you have to get them from somewhere. Most of those come from Malaysia or that region. We have certain chemicals that are made overseas that we had to get in. And in some ways, the supply chain stopped. It literally came to a a grinding halt. And either we got no supply or we got very long lead time and expensive supply. And so, again, being innovative... You have to look at those things and decide, is there a secondary source that you can utilize? Or uh, you go to your customers and say, you know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not available. This isn't available. I can't get this. But here's an option for you. Now, we have come up with some pretty creative solutions for our customers. I guess uh, there's some specs that have to be met, of course, uh, to, to deal with that. But uh, these things that, that you've created out of necessity – do you see these as improvements in, in many way, in any ways, or you'd rather go back to the way you're, you're doing it? Uh, some have been improvements. Some actually have probably 
identified some efficiencies and substitutions that should have been made in the past, but forced us to make those changes. I often say that law enforcement is like driving the Titanic. They are very set in their procedures and ways and the things that they've done. So sometimes it's very hard to get them to steer differently. But when COVID hit and all of a sudden things weren't available and they still had to do their jobs, crime didn't stop, right? right? Investigation didn't stop. So they were much more open to looking at changes and substitutions than they were in the past. And I think that those will be making the industry better going forward. So who are your customers? Is it public entities like law enforcement? Is it, I mean, are you selling to, again, like public-based groups or, or is there private people who do this as well? So the majority of our business is done business to government, federal, municipal, government agencies. We work everywhere from, you know, the large, what we call them, the letter agencies in the U.S. government, DEA, FBI, C, you know, those are the letter agencies that we deal with. But in addition to that, we do everything from state level down to local town governments. Here in the United States, law enforcement is is very diverse. Over in Europe, you see a lot more state level police, and they may have a, uh, a regional police force, but they don't have a town police force or city police force. In the United States, uh, we can sell to five different customers in the same location. <laughs> like, for example, in Wake County, there's uh, 23 agencies right here in Wake County alone that serve the municipal area. That buy from you. That buy from us, yes. Is this a, is this, is really, is this a growth industry? I mean, is, I guess you're, is it growing because crime is growing or what's the future for these types? Of good question. So sometimes you look at it and you think, uh, we do something good for the community, but you also think, well, if everybody was were good people and there was no crime, there would be no searchy. There would be no business. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but actually, we look at growth opportunities in two ways. One is looking at crime prevention versus after the fact. I always feel a lot of our product are used after the crime is committed versus preventing the crime from happening. We've looked at different collaborative solutions, especially in the surveillance industry, to look at how to survey areas, capture criminal activity or things that may lead to criminal activity before that crime occurs. So I think that's that's going to be a potential. And, and as technology advances, that certainly is a, an area of growth is crime prevention and including crime statistics, which a lot of statistical usage at this point. And then we have to remember that even if we have a very advanced crime scene investigation and forensic industry here in the United States, we still have a lot of third world countries that still have not advanced in techniques. We have a lot of training and equipment that we can provide. Just, you know, recently we have done business in Indonesia. We have done business in Malaysia. We have done business in sub-Saharan Africa. And these are all areas where true advanced training and the improvement of forensic science is coming along. Some of those areas, they've, they're just starting to learn how to take fingerprints. They're just getting things like automated fingerprinting systems for uh, identification. They're starting to get into DNA. You know, we, we take it for granted. Some countries are just starting to use DNA analysis. So I think there's still more growth. Yeah, it sounds like you're kind of a leader in this. I mean, it's not a whole lot of competition there, or you're able to just advance, or are you just ahead of everybody? Well, I think that we have been established for a long time, and we started in 1928, so we've been around for 
for a long time, probably one of the largest manufacturers, and not just distributors, but manufacturers of forensics in the industry, and have always been kind of a thought leader in the industry. We do see where money goes to, I guess you would say, what's sexy at the time. Uh, right now, a lot of your money goes into digital forensics. Look at the computer analysis. DNA has always been of interest because of the profile in the media. But there are other areas of forensics that don't get funded like they should. Trying to get the industry, government to invest in those other areas, just training for crime scene investigation. Luckily, we have a lot more technical schools, a lot more people who got the CSI effect that are coming out. But but paying those technicians and, and keeping them trained, and then we have a high turnover rate. It's not an easy job. You know, you're seeing the worst of humanity. So you will see people in the crime scene investigation business that might last two, three, four years, and then move on. Now I have to bring another trained person in. So I, I look at the future as Searchy can certainly play a role. And I hope that we as a company can define how the industry moves forward and that it's not just the sexy things that are on television, but get citizens and, and other activists to understand that, you know, investigating crime is important. Training is important. And there's additional technologies beyond DNA that, that need to be developed and worked on. You talked a bit about workforce and training people, and that's a, a challenge with a lot of our manufacturers. I guess it's, you know, you have a special type of workforce that you need for what you do. We do have a variety only because of the variety of products that we do make. So we have what I would say, you know, assembly level skill jobs. So people will come in and do civil packages, kitting operations. We have clean room operation FDA for assembling sexual assault and blood alcohol kits. So, so that's a one level of training. But then we have some higher skill positions too. We have a chemistry division where we actually are blending chemicals and, and making chemicals for the forensics industry. We actually have a machine shop. We have sheet metal and a full uh, lathe and mill operation. So we have some high school machinists at, at our operation. So the training there is finding the skilled people. You know, it's not often you can bring somebody off the street and just train them how to be a bench chemist or how to be a machinist or you can get there. But partnerships with the local community colleges has, has helped. Uh, we've worked with Vance Granville, which is in our region, uh, Wake Tech, which is in our region, and trying to bring those skills from the region into our company. And I think that there's going to be more of that as we go forward. You know, not everybody's going to go get a four-year degree, but I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for the community college and business to partner together to fill those skilled positions. And we're going to utilize it. Yeah, I guess the idea of processing crime scenes and the stuff on TV, it doesn't translate into making the kits and things That's correct. that go with that. <laughs> yeah, my worst employee would be a, a police officer. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's great. So your your growth, as you think about, is just really getting into these markets that it's just kind of developing in this area for the most part. But do you create, you know, brand new devices to to use in these things? I mean, is, is there a role for the engineering aspect of it in your organization? How do you determine what you're going to make? That's a good question. 
we have a development group. I have one senior development engineer. I have a design engineer who does all of our drawings, layout, a couple of process engineers that work not only in the industry on our manufacturing side, but also on developing new products. We attend the trade shows. We work with very closely with our local law enforcement. CCBI has been a great partner. They're the uh, City County Bureau of Identification here in Raleigh. So they get to, we get to go down to their lab, ask them what the pains are, what problems they have, how can we improve our products. Two things that we've found in the industry are, and this may be across all industries, but I know this about law enforcement. One, it has to have the wow factor. In other words, there has to be a gotcha moment where you're like, I understand how that can get better evidence or how I can use that to make it better. And I have to make their job easier. This is not an easy job. You show up at a crime scene, you are there, you're going to process it. It may take two hours. It may take three days to do. Anything that adds more time or more difficulty to their job is not going to be adopted, right? They want something that makes their job the same or easier and makes the evidence better. So that's always the thing. It always has the wow factor. It has to make their job easier. If you don't do those two things, it's not going to, it's not going to hit. Just a little example of something that's very simple that, that we came about. We were working with our crime scene investigators and we have a test, which is just a small chemical test to prove if the blood is real blood or not ketchup or whatever. So it's a color test that they do. This test was in a little tube. Uh, it was put together and it had a little chemical ampule in it. And what they would do is they would break this ampule and then they would apply it to a blood stain at the scene. And if the color changed to pink or green, depending on which one they used, that would be a positive for them. And then they would go ahead and process that for DNA or whatever. And we got feedback from the industry and said, you know, these little tubes break. It drips all over the place. It's difficult to use. Is there any way that you can make this better? Uh, you know, you make these little pouches for the drugs, can, drug tests. Can you do something along those lines? So we came back. We brainstormed. We went down to actually CCBI worked with us on this particular development. And we said, I think we can work this so that you take the sample, you put it in a little pouch, you'll do the same thing, but then you'll see the color. Nobody gets any mess. There's no, there's no messy hands. There's no chemist, chemicals to throw away, nothing. Put that together. We developed something called our PBID, which is our blood identification test. It's a small pouch. Put the ampule inside. They take the sample. They put it in. They break the ampule. They see the color. And now, no mess, no fuss, no mess, and simple. No problems been a big hit as soon as it hit the market it is paid we basically went from selling one level of the tube to twice as many of them now that it's easier to use so very wow. nice yeah that certainly is a wow factor yes and it's a wow factor for this program you know, just to hear <laughs> the fact that we are doing this type of thing in north carolina and, and nearby so again we're glad to hear of your success and uh and what you do at Sergi. And I appreciate your time coming on, talking to me today about what's going on there and continued success. Well, Phil, thank you. And I just want to make one plug, if I can, uh, for the entire MEP program. Even in the textile industry, I started in Virginia. I used to work with the Philpot MEP out of Virginia. When I came to North Carolina, I worked with the Piedmont region, IES, and then I've continued to work with NC State. It's a wonderful program. Uh, I think if businesses don't know about it, manufacturers don't know about it, they need to know about it. There's a lot of uh, information and help there and take advantage of it. Yeah. Take advantage of it. Yeah. I'll pay you later when we go. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again, Diane. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for joining today's Clocking In, Voices of NC Manufacturing. 
This podcast is brought to you by NC State's College of Engineering, the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and Industry Expansion Solutions. If you'd like to learn more about the solutions NCMEP offers, go to www.ncmep.org. Want to listen to previous Clocking In podcasts? Go to ncmep.org slash clocking in.